A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his uh, clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him amongst themselves. He saved himself, they said, but he, sorry, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen, bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Well, whenever we turn to God's word, we should pray for his help. And so let me lead us as we pray together now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us today and speaks truth through your word. And so we pray that as we turn to it now, you would open our minds to understand what it is that you're showing us and open our hearts to respond as you would have us respond. For Jesus' sake, amen. 
Well, one of the great casualties of the pandemic, for me at least, in my sad little world, has been the delay of the release of the next James Bond film. Uh, some friends and I have been planning to go and see the, the next uh, Bond film for over a year now, and it still hasn't happened, uh, which is sad because I love films uh, like that, uh, films that have uh, a spies and clever stories of espionage and danger and bravery and victory against the odds. It's riveting to watch. I love that kind of stuff. And one of the common features of a Bond film is that there's this one man, the hero, going deep into enemy territory, perhaps captured, bound, surrounded, with no chance of escape. And suddenly he pulls a rabbit out the hat. His watch explodes or something crazy like that. And everything is turned on its head. And victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. J.R.R. Tolkien actually coined a new word for exactly that. He called it a U-catastrophe. We're familiar with the idea of a catastrophe. Everything's fine and then suddenly it all goes terribly, calamitously wrong. It's a catastrophe, we say. Well, a U-catastrophe, spelt E-U-catastrophe, is exactly the opposite. Everything seems utterly lost. And then suddenly there's a twist. Everything's turned on its head and triumph erupts from the midst of disaster. It's a U catastrophe. In our passage this morning, we have a great U catastrophe. In fact, the greatest there's ever been. And the victory that's won is not that of some stranger in a remote story. You know, at the end of the day, who really cares? No, it's a victory won for you and for me. It's a victory we're invested in, and it changes everything forever. It's why Good Friday is called good. But this victory is possible to miss. When Bond beats a villain, you can't miss it. The villain's base is blowing up in the background as he strides away, straightening his tie. The victory of Good Friday, however, blink and you'll miss it. Some missed it on the day, many have missed it since, and we must not miss it. So come with me to Mark 15 this morning. See this great reversal and the victory it is for you and me. The first thing we see is Jesus is the Messiah forsaken. It begins with everything looking lost for Jesus. Here he is, beaten, bleeding, and being led out to die on a cross. He's so weakened from his torture that the Roman soldiers force a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross for Jesus. When they finally reach the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, it says, verse 24, they crucified him. Just three little words, but crushing in their effect. If the followers of Jesus had been hoping for some miraculous, last-minute escape, then those hopes were dispelled with every strike of the nails and every scream of pain. And whilst their world is falling apart before their eyes, others carry on without a care. Verse 24 continues, dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. The Roman soldiers are on the early shift Verse 25 says it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And so they're killing time by gambling for Jesus' clothes. Where others being crucified might have had a sign above them that said murderer or thief or rebel, 
Verse 26 tells us the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. A sign put there to mock, as well as to warn others never to challenge the power of the authorities. And how the mockery flowed. Imagine the scene as people head past Golgotha into Jerusalem on their morning commute. Verse 29, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Frankly, it's a pitiful end for one who had gathered such a following. Look at him now. Such weakness, such humiliating defeat. But, but, In this scene, in the words we've already read, there is more going on than meets the eye. And if we had missed it, two things draw our attention to the fact. The first is a supernatural darkness. Verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Three hours of eerie darkness. It can't have been a solar eclipse. The timing of the Passover feast in the Jewish calendar makes that impossible. It can only be one thing, a supernatural darkness. Communicating what, you might wonder? Well, what would it make any person feel? Surely something of the darkness of what was taking place, divine anger, judgment, that something of cosmic significance was happening. You might recall that a star began to shine to mark his birth. And now one stops shining to mark his death. Something big is going on. What is it? Well, that starts getting clearer for us as readers, at least, with the words of Jesus in verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those words are like a key that when turned in the lock, click, opens up the whole thing. It's the clue that unravels the case. Because in saying those words, Jesus was quoting word for word the beginning of Psalm 22. Now just imagine there a young Jewish girl standing near the cross, hearing him cry out those words and beginning to wonder why he had chosen them. They seem strangely familiar to her. And so she runs home to her, her house in the suburbs of Jerusalem. She goes to her bedroom, gets out her Bible and starts turning to Psalm 20, 20, 21, where is it? 22, here it is. And as she runs her finger to the opening line, yes, she thinks to herself, there it is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It can't be a coincidence, she thinks. So she reads on. And as she does, her eyes widen and widen as more and more of what she reads perfectly describes what she's just witnessed at Golgotha. She comes to verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And Mark writes that when Jesus was crucified, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. 
And this is what the people are saying in Psalm 22. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Just as those mocking Jesus called for him to prove himself by coming down from the cross. And it says in verse 16 of the psalm, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. And the girl is astonished. She had read this psalm countless times before, but never stopped to wonder what David, its author, writing a thousand years earlier and hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented, could have meant by those words. But now they perfectly described what's happening to Jesus. They pierce my hands and my feet. And the hairs stand up on the back of her neck as she reads verse 18. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And she can see in her mind the Roman soldiers just hours earlier doing exactly that at the foot of the cross. And so she sees it now. That the man she had just witnessed dying is the one the whole Bible had been promising and pointing towards. And that the truth had been in plain sight all along. Written on a sign, no less, and nailed above his head there for all with eyes to see it. The king of the Jews. Though intended to mock him, that sign, in fact, declared the truth. And she feels as though she's just discovered the most important news in the world. Because she has. That Jesus is the Messiah forsaken. It's amazing how sometimes we can look at the same thing, but see something different. Like this picture, for example. Some of you will see a duck. Others, a rabbit. Or this one. uh, Maybe, uh, what do you see there? Uh, An old lady? Or a young one. Maybe you see one or the other. But until you see both, you're only seeing half the picture. Mark is trying to help us see the whole picture. That Jesus is the Messiah forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he also wants us to see that this had to happen. That we might have access to God the Father. And this is what uh, we see in the death of Jesus. Blink and you'll miss it. But here in verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. It would seem to be the final moment of defeat. But then for the briefest of moments, Mark transports us across to the other side of Jerusalem to the temple. And we read verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This great curtain was hung around the area of the temple where God symbolically lived and where no one could go. It was a great big no entry sign reminding everyone that we are too sinful to stand in the presence of God. You can't come in. This curtain was as thick as the span of a person's hand. It was a seriously thick thing. And it wasn't held up by one of those flimsy curtain rails you get from Dunelm. We have those and my kids keep pulling the curtains down. It drives me nuts. No, this was a solid, permanent fixture in the temple. But at just that moment when Jesus died, it was torn down. And note it was torn from top to bottom. A detail to help us see it was God 
who brought it down. And this is the great you catastrophe moment. At the moment of apparent defeat, a huge victory is won. Because at that moment, the way was open for people to come into the presence of God. The big question at the heart of the whole story of the Bible is how can a sinful people stand before God, a holy God? How? Well, here in Mark 15, the question is answered at last. It is through the death of Jesus, dying in the place of you and me, taking our punishment, that our sins are removed. And with them, any need for us to be kept out of the presence of God. He was forsaken that you and I might be forgiven. He was shut out of the presence of God that you and I might be welcomed in. It's an amazing moment. Jesus has, as it were, gone deep behind enemy lines. And before anyone could notice what he was doing, snatched a great victory from the jaws of defeat. A lone hero managing to save countless others. One of the great sadnesses of the last year has been the way COVID has separated us from loved ones. Family not seen, newborns we still haven't met, holidays with friends cancelled. We've probably all seen pictures of people visiting elderly relatives in, in care homes and nursing homes, but having to remain on the other side of a glass screen, unable to touch them or to hug them. Separation is a a terrible thing. And one of the things we're all longing for is being able to be with others again, enjoying their company and their closeness. I recently read uh, this line, two meters has never felt so far. It's true, isn't it? A virus has separated us from each other, but sin has separated us from God. It's wrecked our relationship with him. And while we long to be rid of a virus, God longs for us to be rid of sin. The sin that keeps us apart from him. So much so, he sent his son to take the punishment that our sins deserve. Anything to remove the separation, the barrier, the curtain between us and him. And he did that on the cross for anyone who will ask him for forgiveness. It's interesting if you ask people to hear what they're most looking forward to after the coronavirus restrictions are lifted. I wonder what it is for you. Of course, there's seeing people. I'm also longing to go uh, to a restaurant with my wife, to go to the pub with some friends. I want to get away and have some holidays somewhere different as much as I love Sheffield. I want to have people round our house for a meal. I think I'll be like a kid with too many toys. I won't know which one to play with first. But what's absolutely unthinkable is that I'd live exactly how I did in lockdown. That would be bizarre and such a waste to not enjoy the privileges and freedoms that I have. Friends, Jesus has won for us the right to enter into the presence of God the Father, to know and enjoy him personally forever. To pass up that privilege would be madness And such a tragic waste. Look, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, do you perceive this victory? Don't blink or you'll miss it. Do you see what Jesus has done? There was one there that day whose eyes were beginning to be opened. Verse 37 said, 
With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. How much did he perceive? We don't quite know. But this soldier who had seen surely many men die, recognized that this one was different. Maybe you're looking into all this, unsure what you make of it, but there's just some niggling awareness within you that there's more to Jesus and Christianity than perhaps you've understood before. And if that's you, you're right. And you're onto something. We want to help you to see what it is that we have discovered to be true about him. It's the greatest news in all the world and it changes everything forever. Keep watching these services. Join us in person from next Sunday if you can. Sign up to our Christianity Explored course happening on Zoom from the 15th of April. Contact me through the website and if you'd just like to have a chat, I'd love to do that. But don't miss this greatest of victories, one for you and me. And if you're a Christian already, remember and celebrate the enormous privilege of being able to relate personally to God as our father. And then enjoy it. Don't live like it didn't happen. Don't pass up the opportunity to enjoy the presence of God with you. As you pray and offload to him all that's on your heart. As you sit quietly in a chair or go for a walk and consciously think upon his presence with you. And finally, don't be quiet or coy about the cross. Just yesterday, I was uh, talking with a Sheffield Wednesday fan who was feeling a little bit down about the fortunes of his team. Not ashamed as such, but a little bit deflated about their performance. We all know that, don't we? When someone's team is losing, they go a bit quiet. They don't really want to talk about it. But when their team is winning, wow, everyone knows. They're wearing the shirt, chanting the chant, bringing it up in conversation whenever there's a chance. Even when there isn't a chance, they find a way to talk about it. We celebrate when our team is winning. Christian, as we approach Good Friday, don't go quiet about the cross of Jesus. It wasn't a moment of defeat but of victory and triumph. It's the news everyone needs to hear. It's the symbol of the Christian faith, and for good reason. It's the solution to the problem of human sin, and it's the greatest sign there could ever be of God's heart and love for all the world. Make this message known. When you're sharing your faith with a friend, the place we should always be eager to go is to the cross of Jesus. It is the moment that changed everything forever. Some there on that day saw how Jesus died, the shame of it all, and concluded he could not have been who he claimed. Others saw exactly the same scene, but perceived something different. Surely this man was the son of God. And the same will be true today. Some dismiss him, others see what is going on. This will always be the effect of the message of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, 
both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. At the cross of Jesus, do you see foolishness and weakness or wisdom and strength? Blink and you could miss it. See it and you've discovered the greatest victory the world has ever known. It cost our hero his life. But three days later, he would stride out from among the rubble of his enemy's defeat. And this is how Psalm 22 ends. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. And when we share the message of the cross, even today, as I've preached through Mark 15, that promise is fulfilled. Future generations told about the Lord, his righteousness proclaimed, the message declared, he has done it. Celebrate the cross. Make it known. Not as a moment of defeat, but a victory and triumph. Jesus is the Messiah forsaken, that we might have access to God the Father. He has done it indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what cost you so much has won so much for us. We thank you that though you were forsaken, we can be forgiven. That you were shut out from the presence of the Father, we now can be welcomed in. And we pray that you would give our hearts great joy this week as we remember what it is that you have done for us. And we pray that we would make this message known, this message that all the world needs to know and hear and understand and respond to. For we ask it for the glory of your name. Amen.